This episode is brought to you by Knowing Hospitality, a full-service hotel management company that has developed a simple and straightforward management fee based on profit, not revenue. If you're a hotel owner that believes in a new way of doing business and want to learn more about the benefits of a profit-based management agreement, visit knowinghospitality.com. Now let's get to the podcast. The restaurant business is a technology business now, whether you know it or not. And so what, what we have led our team with and our idea is we want to absolutely be high touch for our guests. I want high tech on the back end to help enable that high touch. And I don't want the guests to see the tech unless it's something that enables that, that makes that high touch even better. Welcome to the Proven Principles Podcast, the show that deconstructs the inner workings of the hospitality industry, breaking down the tools, tips, and tricks that the world's best run hotels use every day. Here's your host, Adam Knight. My guests today are Chad McKay and Simon DeMontfort Walker. Chad is the CEO at Fire and Vine, a Seattle-based company that owns and operates some of the Pacific Northwest's most iconic properties, including El Gaucho, Aqua at El Gaucho, Heirloom, Yellowhawk Resort, Walla Walla State Company, Crossbuck Brewing, and their industry-leading Revelers Club loyalty program. Simon is the Senior Vice President and General Manager of the Oracle Food and Beverage Global Business Unit. In times of crisis, having the presence of mind to think about the future feels like a luxury that many business owners can't afford. Keeping the lights on and the doors open become job number one. But one day that crisis will end and what might be even worse is finding your business firmly planted behind where everyone else has moved. And that's the theme of today's episode. How Fire and Vine use their time during the pandemic to invest in and deploy technology that will help engage their customers in a more meaningful way, remove friction from their operation, and lead the restaurant industry in this recovery. And why having the right technology partner is critical to bringing it all together. So let's get to it. This is episode 66 of the Proven Principles podcast, Chad McKay and Simon DeMontfort Walker on bringing restaurants forward. Enjoy. Chad and Simon, thank you so much for being on the show. It's really great to have both of you here. Fantastic to join you. Yeah, you bet. Um, Chad, I would, I mean, we're talking about bringing restaurants back today. That's the overarching theme of the show. Uh, I, I feel like the last 18 months has been, I mean, I want to forget what I think. I want to know what you think. How has the last 18 months been for you as in, in the position, not just as CEO of a hospitality company, but for the organization, just maybe give us some color on that. Yeah. I mean, if I had, if I had one word, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, eight, 18 months has been, um, you know, from a business side is obviously we've gone through just tremendous change. The human side it, you know, the probably the toughest day of my life was March 12th of 2020, laying off, you know, 95% of the company, letting them know that that following Saturday that we were going to be closed, <clears throat> that hopefully the government would step in and do something, um, but that I would at least pay all the health care for the next six weeks to cover that as kind of going into a pandemic. And I think for the, for that side, it, both personally, business-wise, and with the teams, it was just you know it's a tremendously hard uh, time to go through. And I think the important thing when we were talking about this whole idea of bringing restaurants back is there's no going back. There's only going forward. And so that's that's what we're really focused on. And as we relaunched, that was what we were focused on as well. So 
anyway, to sum it up, it's been an unbelievable 18 months. Yeah. And I mean, we, so you're Seattle based as am I, uh, I know a lot of other cities have dealt with this same thing where you've got, um, uh, changing regulations, you're just kind of doing one thing one day, another thing completely different the next day, and then back to the first thing the day after that. Like it's, you know, from a, an operations perspective, running a business, um, no, I don't want to turn this into a, you know, a gripe against the government and all that, but it, it more, more importantly, um, as you, as you talk about, and I think rightly so, you know, bringing restaurants forward, we should probably change the name of the show to bringing restaurants forward, not bringing them back. Um, what has, what has been the thing that you've been able to get your arms around the most? What's kind of, what's been your North star through all of this to keep you centered and moving in that forward direction, dealing with everything that's been going on? Yeah, I mean, a great question. Um, we actually, our, our purpose was we revel in celebrating life. And when we were shut down, closed, laid off, um, there wasn't a lot of ways to do that, right? And so when we, when we decided what we were going to do going forward, how to bring the restaurants on a forward basis, uh, we had to change that North Star. And so we, we decided to do this, and that was to basically put in place a business that we can bring the familiar face of our guests back and reunite them with the familiar faces of our teams and do that in a sustainable way. And that became our North Star, and that became who we hired back, how we restructured the business, because we couldn't just relaunch the whole thing again. Um, and so for, for us, that was the North Star, bring the familiar face of our guests, reunite them with the familiar face of our team, and do that in a, in a sustainable manner that we could keep going, knowing that the regulations were going to change, the financial situation would change. Um, so, Yeah. How did you guys engage your most loyal customers through the pandemic or, or did you like, I mean, it's I feel like it's like the old circus where you're just trying to keep all these plates spinning right on the, on those posts. But one of those things I'm sure in the back of your mind is how do we keep our customers engaged so that, you know, they do come back when we open, what was, what was a little bit of the strategy and kind of the inside baseball on that? Oh, I wish we had a big strategy. Um, <laughs> uh, it was, <laughs> It was to at least be what we wanted to be as open and transparent um, and tell them what was going on. Uh, let them know that that we had a big loyalty program uh, that we didn't because we didn't know uh, when we would reopen, that we would, you know, extend points when we figured out when we would open, when people were coming back um, on that comfort side. And that basically to let them know that there were going to be options. Um as we as we went further, so that was primarily through email and our loyalty platform, um, and that 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 was really the first start. And then when we relaunched, it was the opportunity to let them know, hey, not everybody's comfortable going out, and so here's all the ways that we can engage with you. And you know, we were closed for a hundred days uh, for that first round. Wow, and so. Uh, that first, that first couple of weeks, we thought, oh, we're just going to hibernate and chill, you know, just kind of like hold tight. And then we realized that's what a waste of an opportunity to do other things. Mm -hmm. And so instead of treating it like hibernation, we said, hey, let's, this is like dry dock. Like when is our business ever just completely stopped? And that's when we moved to the cloud. 
I mean, we we just were like, okay, let's change everything that we've been wanting to do, but it's so hard to do going forward. And so that was when we moved all of our servers out, went to the cloud, we replaced our POS systems, went to the Oracle Symphony, Mm -hmm. like just did all the things that like, oh man, we wanted to get those done. Meanwhile, communicating with Zoom calls with our team and, and continuing to publish stuff out to the guests to let them know, hey, we're still here. We're gonna be here. We're looking forward to reconnecting with you. Um, so I don't know yeah. if that helped answer the question. It but. totally no, it totally does. I mean, this is the perfect opportunity. It's like, and Simon, I'll, I'll get you to jump in here, yeah. maybe. Um, and we got really right into content right away. So I'll, I'll back up a second and, and give you an opportunity to, to introduce yourself. But before I cut to that, I mean, this has got to be a dream situation for um, you know. There's never a good time to just overhaul the whole yeah. back end, right? Um, so maybe maybe jump in here, introduce yourself if you can, yeah. and kind of your relationship with Chad. Sure. Yeah. So I'm Simon. I manage what uh, we call our food and beverage uh, global business unit, which is actually where uh, Oracle Micros' point of sale system lives within Oracle. And so you know we've been working with Chad. We take a lot of inspiration from from what they've done. You know we we talk a lot about in the industry of like the, the COVID shutdown. Um, I think what's fascinating and we see everywhere and, and we think Chad and his team recognized really early on is that, you know, you weren't going to wake up to the same market, right? You were waking up to a market where, you know, independent restaurants sort of like seemingly under attack a little bit from these very well-funded kind of aggregators of of consumer information and buyers of of end consumer transactions, right? At the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that, you know, spending time while you had this pause kind of tooling up for that battle. Um, it was a kind of a fundamental thing that a lot of restaurateurs needed to do. You know, certainly just as, you know, Chad has his mission, we have a similar one that really centers around, um, you know, helping the restaurateurs in this environment um, to maintain kind of their ownership of customer data and to kind of use it, you know, as, as their weapon in this fight. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we think with, with Chad and his team, they've done a pretty remarkable job taking, you know, really solid loyalty concepts, they're kind of advanced users of our tool set and all the integration we bring, other partners like Seven Rooms, um, to, to kind of tool up and get ready for post-COVID where, you know, it's not just a restart, right? Like the, the industry, the landscape has changed and we're really in a very new competitive environment. Yeah. And Chad, maybe you can jump in here and fill us in on on your loyalty program. What What's the name of it? What does it look like? And, and, and we can kind of jump into maybe how it's changed now that we're starting to come out of all this. Yeah, you bet. It's called the Revelers Club. So, you know, again, our purpose is we revel in celebrating life. And so we decided, hey, we'll have the Revelers Club. Uh, we have a couple of tiers for that. We have Revelers Prime and the Gridiron Society, which is our highest spend tier. Uh, and quite simply, it's a birthday and anniversary program. Uh, so at one level, sending out um, uh, gift certificates for $75 for people to come in and dine with us on their special occasions. And then in addition, we actually do a reward dollar accumulation. So for every $100 you spend, you get $10 to spend with us in the future. So it's a very simple bounce back program. It's like super easy for consumers to understand, the customer or the, our employees to understand. Um, and so that that program has grown now. I think we're at about 75,000 uh, active wow. members of that program. Uh, with, and that's been around now for uh, about 10 years. So I okay. think we're just coming on year 10 in October. Okay. Um, so it's it's a tremendous program. 
And obviously it got turned off a little bit for when we were shut down. Um, but again, I think you don't pay to join. So it really is, you know, they, we wanted to make it something where we are rewarding those that are with us. You know, I've been in a lot of discussions over the years with different hotel companies, um, in particular that have wanted to put together, uh, some version of a loyalty program. And there's different approaches to it. There's, you know, there's the points program, there's the bounce back money program. There's the, you know, you just get sort of free upgrades, whatever, however you approach it. But a lot of the time, the discussion ends up stalling on how do we manage this on the back end? Because it, it, it could be as complicated as you want it to be. Um, how, how do you, so trying to think about what, what is the right way to answer ask this question here. Um, how did you, how did you run it all on the back end, or like, did you, were you using an Oracle platform before and then moved to Oracle through the pandemic or was this a migration that happened in your bigger tech migration? We, we were, we, we were using Paytronics uh, to be the main engine on kind of the tracking piece. And then that was integrated with, uh, the Oracle Red system. And then when we migrated, that became the Symphony system. So that interaction uh, between check level detail, the customer record, all of that was occurring. And then also we have seven rooms involved too. So mm. um, so there's a, the whole backend triggering of emails and confirmations. And you know there, there's a whole complication behind the scenes that our team manages to make it as easy as possible for our servers and the guests uh, for both, you know, in, in dining, post dining, managing their accounts, and then for the servers, uh, for the ring up, uh, you know, through Oracle, all of that, make, making those tight integrations. And, and luckily those guys work very well together. So that's been really smooth. Yeah. And Simon, um, when, when the discussion about doing this with Fire and Vine came up, what was important from your perspective to make sure that that this huge component of a loyalty program for Fire and Vine didn't miss a beat and yeah. got better with the tech integration with uh, Symphony instead of, you know, a few fits and starts and then eventually we find our legs. Yeah. I mean, obviously this is, this is sort of, you know, the goal of the business, right? And so, you know, we need to manage it very tightly. And, and you know, luckily we, we, we live in a company that is obviously you know known for its facility with, with managing data, managing the enterprise, and so you know, I think there's core building blocks, right? For, for us, really, you know, security, enterprise readiness, all this kind of stuff is is the table stakes. You know, really, what we're trying to do with, with businesses like Chad's is make sure that you know we're able to turn the glove inside out and allow all of these integrations, allow all of this use, um, so that you know when we're when we're turning the platform on, we're able to take what they've got and sort of spread it out across all of the tools they're using, like a seven rooms, um, to make it really effective. And, you know, it, it's more and more of a challenge in more organizations, especially when you start to think of like a hotel with an F&B footprint, which is kind of, you know, another layer of complexity. Like, how do you bring all this together and make it useful across what could be multiple loyalty programs, right? Mm -hmm. um, and sort of put it to work, not just so that, you know, Chad can kind of sit and design promotions and all this sort of thing, but so that, you know, you've got at the point of service, right? the ability to use some of this data and, and, and put it in front of a server or a staff member um, to improve the hospitality experience. And so yeah. really we look at it from what is this end customer interaction? Um, how do we get all the table stakes right? But at the end of the day, like 
what's the guest experience going to be? And so I think it's where great hospitality companies um, like Fine Vine are, 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 are a great match for this, right? Because they can take the complexity. They're very good at the operations. And what we're providing is really a tool set that lets them do what they do best. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I imagine that one of the chief um, points was that this cannot get in the way of yeah. servicing the guest. It can't be an operational hurdle for us. Um, what was the onboarding process like, Chad, from, from, you know, you're, you're standing in the restaurant, you're working, you know, with a server hip to hip, teaching them this new system. This is how you engage with it. This is how you use it to engage our guests better. What did that look like? I mean, from the, from an implementation side, the, the nice thing is the interface, like, I mean, just to be honest, Symphony's interface in the sense of the user interface, the, some of the way you can speed ring things up, like the, once the servers got over the fact that they've been using one interface for 20 years, some of them, but that they could put in their orders so much faster. They're like, okay, so it really didn't take that long to get them trained up uh, through that process. And at the, at the end of the day, they want to spend less time at the terminal or less time on the handhold or their tablet or whatever it may be. Um, and so it was really trying to make sure that our our configuration operations team ran through the different use cases, the ring throughs, make sure that when, when we configured it, that it was going to be correct. And that upon implementation that, that, you know, they worked with them hand in hand uh, to smooth those things out and then do the, any iterative changes that we needed to do. Yeah. And then once we did one site, it's easy to roll the next site, the next site um, and deploy those. So, you know, there, there's no magic to it. It's just, you got to do all the work up front, fix the stuff that you missed because you always do um, mm -hmm. and be really patient and understand that, you know, when you do change something for people that have been doing it for, you know, a number of years, there is, there is consternation because it's also at the same time we're doing masking and cleaning protocols and all this other stuff. So <laughs> um, it, patience is important. And, yeah. and, and empathy for that side. So no kidding. I, I remember some of the pain uh, in front of house going through a POS changeover. Equally, potentially more pain in back of house with with the manager, you know, having to whether it's it's, you know, a button was moved or, you know, having to you know reprogram this <laughs> or that or just constantly answering the same question. I mean, the the, the, yeah, the empathy up and down the, the, the chain uh, for this, there's no doubt it's a huge undertaking. Um, as you look at at this this new tech stack that you brought into the company. Uh, I mean, we talked about it at the jump here. It, there was a, is this kind of a once in a career opportunity to do this in a way that uh, it wasn't super disruptive. Um, you can kind of test it before guests were in there and make sure that everything is working well. Does this fit or how does this new tech stack fit into your, your vision for how you want to grow the company and how you want to engage your guests going forward? Because that there had to have been a roadmap and a reason for doing this, not just getting the new shiny tablets. Yeah, no, no, definitely not. We don't like to spend money that we don't need to. Um, so yeah, we're still restaurateurs, right? We, we're not, we're not made of gold <laughs> right. as, as much as some people think we are. Uh, no, I think that, you know, one of the things is you, you just, at some point you have to look at your technology stack. I do have actually a tech background before coming back to the restaurant. So I, I have both a steeped, 
uh, implementation background of technology. In fact, Oracle applications, ERP systems um, oh, wow. from, from long ago. Yes, aerospace okay. systems. Um, but on the hospitality side, you need to be positioned for future growth. And so everything from uh, the way we grew before is we we started up the one restaurant, right? So El Gaucho in 97. And then we opened another one. So we copied the database and then went to the next one and that copied that beta database and it went to the next one. So now through the symphony implementation, we've actually been able to do the enterprise portion where we actually not just copying databases, we're, we're purposefully pushing out what we want to keep at control at the local level, to keep at the, the, you know, enterprise level for accounting and finance. And so that these other buttons don't get thrown in that kind of mess everything up or calculating tax wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so just that alone, so that so that you have the same platform uh, was a big deal. And then being able to do uh, integration with online ordering, mobile ordering, uh, pay at table, uh, you know, all this other stuff and being ready for what is to come. And I think that is that's the big piece is so a lot of these old systems and even some of the other competitive systems. They all they want to do is lock you in to everything, including you know credit card processing and all this other stuff. And what I want is something that I have a stack I could build around. I could bring tight integration solutions to that we need for later and stuff that I don't even know yet. And so, um, yeah. So I, I don't know yeah. if that helps. Yeah. No. No. It definitely does. Simon, uh, curious to get your take on on maybe this a similar question about upgrading a tech stack and, and, uh, for f- maybe future proofing operational needs down the road. Um, what is the use case for that, that restaurant out there or hotel out there that is trying to figure out if this is a good place to spend, uh, very few dollars? Like, is, is there truly an ROI here for them? Yeah, I mean, we certainly see it. I mean, I think, you know, especially in the context of the last years, you know, everything we're talking about in terms of, you know, lots of uh, you know, direct to consumer ordering and all these sorts of things, like it was happening and it's all sort of been supercharged. But, but, but increasingly what we're also seeing is where, you know, we lived in a universe that had, I think, a couple of fairly strict lanes that you operated in, right? Like you had an on-premise com- customer, an off-premise customer, they sort of thought about it differently and you interact with that customer quite differently. You know, when we look at consumer sentiment and we think about how they're interacting with with their sort of hospitality experiences, you know, it's all gotten thrown into a blender. And we're seeing these really massively blended, might start on digital, might end with an in-person interaction and then mm-hmm. be in-person. And so, you know, really from our perspective, we see it, you know, technically at least as an integration challenge. But one, you know, how do you provide consumers with a really good tied together experience across all of these channels all at once? From an operating perspective, the upside, right, is that, you know, you've got capacity you're fundamentally creating, right? You've got maybe fewer staff touch points. You've got the ability to kind of capture orders a little bit earlier, understand throughput that you're going to need in the kitchen maybe a little bit earlier in the night. Think about kind of the restaurant footprint a little bit differently. You know, the, the, we, got, we got learned the really the hard part of that in COVID with like limited dining rooms and all these kinds of things. But now we're seeing restaurateurs who, where they've got the ability to tie together lots of third parties. Um, and bring in kind of what they think of are as, you know, their sort of best in breed stuff, right? Like seven rooms as, you know, a really leading platform on the reservation side and the kind of house management. 
you know, to drive drive business on their side as you know the demand kicks up and they're maintaining these kind of off-prend channels and, and all these sorts of things. So we see a very clear case. I mean, transaction levels in restaurants where we see good adoption um, and the use of lots of different channels and tools, we see mm-hmm. most of them at kind of well beyond their sort of pre-COVID levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we see a revenue case. And then on the cost side, you know, certainly given labor and cost of goods, you know, we believe there's a, a really fundamental case there as well, given you're upping yeah. throughput on the same capacity. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if a lot of this is driven by customers' uh, adoption and, and demand for this now. We did, there was never, from a customer perspective, there really probably wasn't a super strong use case for, uh, you know, like QR codes are having their day now, even though they've been around forever. Uh, you know, online ordering, like I know a lot of restaurants sort of, uh, they didn't, they didn't really go after, they didn't want to be a part of it. And, you know, we could, that's a whole other podcast, um, <laughs> talking about, about restaurant deliveries, but are you seeing this, uh, are, am I right in saying that, that, that a lot of this is driven by how customers are just buying these days? I think I'm, I'm, we see a lot of clients thinking about it as, as more customers are accepting of it. So they're going to continue doing it because they see, they see upside and in, in some of the, you know, like the QR code interaction, not publishing menus, not having a server come back to the table for a final bill closeout, right? I mean, you know, we see those things as being sort of necessities right now. And consumers have said, look, maybe we don't love it, but we're willing to do it. Um, mm-hmm. And then the younger you go down in the generation pool in our research, like the more friendly they are. <laughs> I was just going to use an example of not only an ROI, but also, you know, what changed that we were able to take advantage of. So, um, for instance, we had stopped doing Thanksgiving dinners a number of years ago. Uh, just because we wanted our teams to be able to have that day off, we have a, we had one restaurant that was always doing it, and they they asked, "Hey, could we want to be like the rest of the company and not have to work on that family day?" I'm like, "Great, let's let's cancel it out." Uh, so COVID comes along, we've got a new stack. We could do online ordering. Um, we sold more takeaway turkeys and packages, wines, you know, the whole deal that you picked up on Wednesday. Day before Thanksgiving, so we did like fifty thousand dollars of business that day, and the most we'd ever done on a, a Thanksgiving was thirty six thousand, and I had about you know five percent labor in it. Wow, wow! Like, and it was all like all done online ordering processing. Like all we did is you know you drove up, here's your full package. Yeah. So um, does- so that would have been a total pain prior to all, to all those changes. Like oh, there's, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. The, yeah. So, oh, I, I, and I'll give you one other one. We had a um, a tech client, a, a gaming client that always did their holiday parties with us. And again, last December, we were all shut down again uh, in, in Washington and Oregon. Um, and so they said, hey, would you deliver? We'd like to buy a package of you know, basically Chateaubriands and lobster tails and like all this stuff, bottles of bourbon and wine. Um, and so we did this whole whole system where we basically put together and used our own people to go out and deliver that, use routing software. Like all these things happened because we were we were just ready at a totally different level to take advantage of. And that was that was a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar order. That's awesome. 
right? Like, wow. but, you know, they were like, we've had an incredible year. I know you guys, you're suffering. And so our teams had great Christmas money. You know, it was just one of those things where had not had all this not happened, we wouldn't have been ready to do all of those things or willing to have listened to it. And so yeah. that's why there, there's no going back. It's going forward. It's rethinking how we do business and, and where we want to go in the future. Yeah. So do you keep doing those things then going forward? So is your, is your, now you're, you're, I'm sure you're deep in planning for Thanksgiving and Christmas right now. Uh, are, what you did last year, are you thinking you'll do it, something similar again because it was such a big success? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah we're we're going to do a, a, a traditional package out of our one restaurant and then do, so out of Aqua, which our seafood restaurant will be the turkey and, you know, that whole side. And then our steakhouse is going to be the prime rib and, you know, that whole deal. So if you want to go traditional turkey, go down the street or take a left and go the other way and, and pick it up at El Gaucho. So, yeah. um, yeah, we're anticipating, you know, pretty good, uh, business through that. And again, we, we just never thought of doing it. Mm-hmm. And now you've unleashed that opportunity again, the, the, te- having the technology to make it super simple, uh, for everybody, the guest, the team, um, was just, you know, is really important. So, so whether it's, we talked about the tech acceptance slash desire, um, but you know, as we're, as we're learning how people are interacting with restaurants again, is there anything else that you've got your eye on with respect to what their expectations might be? Or is there anything that you can do to educate them to maybe help them figure out what their expectations should be? Well, let me, let me go back just a minute on kind of relaunch and thinking about, cause I think one of the, one of the discussions around this was going to be, what is, what does the future look like? And, what did we do now? What what might change, or what changed from what we did in the past? Um, when when we were to when we were looking at reopening, uh, the team basically said, "Hey, Chad, we we think that there's a case for us to change what we're doing, not what we're doing for the guest in the sense of our kind of our core, um, but they made the case that we should not relaunch seven days a week. We should not relaunch lunch." We should stick to Tuesday through Saturday and dump meal periods. Hmm. We'll have a, a, a smaller management team. We'll be able to fluctuate with capacity restrictions in a much different way. And so they made this case. And so when we relaunched, we, we relaunched at, you know, five days instead of seven nights and without lunch. Hmm. Um, and I, I, I tell people that because there's, you know, there, there in physics, you learn of, um, two types of friction. There's sliding friction, which is how much force does it to keep an object that's already in motion to keep it going and the, and the coefficient of friction along the way. And then there's static friction, which what is the force to get something moving again, which is tremendously more than the static friction, the force to keep it going. Hmm. And what happened when all of us were shut down, we all went back to static force. And how much was it going to take? And so we just dumped all the extra. We just stripped everything down and got to the core of the business. We are now almost back to basically 2019 numbers, missing two days and no lunch. And we've doubled profitability. We went from 485 people to 310. Wow. 
and we're not going back. That's why I said there's no going back is going forward. So yeah. a little bit of customers is also being able to say that there's some things that aren't going to come back and then there's others that will. And we're going to we're, we want you to dine with us. We want you to experience things. But we've also done takeaway dinners where you reheat them and kind of finish those cooking. Those those will be with us forever now. Yeah. Like we figured out how to do it and do it really well. And mm-hmm. the guests loved it. Um, so I, I can imagine that conversation when everyone's talking about, you know, we're going to, we want to drop this meal period and we want to reduce two days of service. And you're going like, uh, so you just want us to cut off like, you know, 25% of our revenue. <laughs> yeah, no, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a big hurdle that usually that's a non-starter in any meeting. Right. That must've been a compelling case. It, well, they, they did, they, they had done their homework and, and so I, I, what I just said is, all right, you guys put together the, the staffing plan, the rehire plan. Um, here's the deal. We got to figure out how to make it work. I'm going to go talk to the landlords. We're going to get through this thing together. I'm going to tell them what the heck is going on and why, why they need to come along. Mm-hmm. Right. Because we have some leases where those are issues. And, um, and uh, my job I've always told them is my job is to make sure we've got capital uh, and a future. Mm-hmm. And your job is to make sure with our current assets and our current systems and teams that we are, you know, produce financial results to keep them going and I'll go take care of the other stuff. So, right. um, and so the, the, the pitch to landlords and other investors and stuff was basically, Hey, we're going to, if there's any group that's going to survive this, it's us. Right. We, we have been nimble. We have changed. We have survived minimum wages and scheduling laws and all this stuff. Like we're the team to bet on. So give us this. Yeah. As I love your, your analogy of, of the friction. I, I usually, uh, I, I come at it from the flywheel perspective, but the same thing, you know, spinning, getting that flywheel going and, and keeping it yep. spinning. How did you guys, you know, there, especially when, uh, here in Washington, when, you know, whether it was indoor dining was allowed back in or, you know, mask mandates were on, then they were off there. Initially there was a, you went from effectively closed zero business, except for takeaway to like a full restaurant, almost, almost overnight, uh, or full for the, what was considered full at the time, um, you know, for a couple of days a week, but that operationally spinning that flywheel up again is, is really tough. Um, any insights that you can give on, uh, on on how your team managed that process? How do you how do you get that like everyone like okay we're back in work mode now, let's go? Well, I I think one thing is it didn't just spin right back up right like when we reopened in June in the Northwest, a lot of tentative clients, a lot of tentative people, even on the employee side. So you know it, at at some level we were fortunate that it slowly ramped up and then it accelerated. Um, I think the, the the biggest thing with the teams is just being empathetic that everybody is stressed and with the teams also to know that the guest is also tentative and stressed and we just have to give a lot of grace to both sides to be thinking about, you know, this is the first time somebody's been out and, you know, especially as we got into the fall and even, I mean, even... It, this spring, I know it's going to sound weird to some parts of the country, but I, I am still running into people and having a dinner that it's the first dinner they've had since March of 2020. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, it's and amazing. 
So I, I, I guess the my answer would be to have some empathy and grace that it is a stressful time for the guests. It's a stressful time for the for the team, um, and that we're just trying to get through tonight, and then we'll figure out tomorrow. And one, you know, as my dad says, one day at a time. Yeah, right? that's all you can do. You yeah. know, with with tech changes and customer. Um, buying habits and psychology changing as we move through this, you know, whatever, whatever our new normal is. Uh, and you alluded to it earlier, minimum wage, uh, you know, wage laws that is at the forefront right now, obviously it's very hard to find people. So that's probably, that's driving the discussion. Um, how do you see this affecting your business? Are you guys approaching this in uh, in a different way rather than, you know, kind of the binary going all in with being a wage leader and sort of eschewing, you know, the, the previous ways of approaching this or, you know, head in the sand, we're not going to change it. We're just going to go along with, with what, you know, the government says we have to do. Yeah. I think the answer is we actually, we changed our model about five years ago. Um, and we, you know, we were in, we're in Washington, Oregon, in Seattle. Uh, so Seattle, I think, is it might be the highest, could be the second highest minimum wage in the country without tip credit. So I think we'll, you know, for for those that are out there in, in the rest of the area, uh, rest of the country, we'll be at seven. I think seventeen dollars an hour with no tip credit on January first. So move to Seattle. Um, so, <laughs> and so yeah, pr- pretty substantial. So we actually had we went to a service charge and a commission model uh, that kind of appended and changed the entire uh the entire labor model for us and what i can say from you know from five years ago now is i haven't worried about minimum wage for the last five years once we made our switch we just it's not an issue for us um and it's brutal because january 1st in seattle this year 21 while we were shut down there was a dollar 50 increase for small businesses for small restaurants like that's yeah. how difficult it is. So um, I think there's there's something that we were um, that we led with, and I think your your analogy. I use a picture of all these people on a beach, and and about you know there's like 150 of them, and there's about 140 that are their head is buried, their their head is in the sand, and there's like a few that are going to go off surfing. Yeah. Yeah. Most people just keep their head buried. Like just, I just want to get through this next month, this next week, this next payroll. Uh, And then there's the few that are actually going out surfing and having fun. We've been surfing and having fun. Well, besides COVID. Five years (laughs) now. But but now (laughs) we are. Yeah. Um, And so it's, it's doing something different than most restaurants have ever done. Um, and taking advantage of that. So has that, has that been, uh, has that been a tool for your recruiting and retention strategy pre COVID? Pre COVID and post as well. Um, we have probably the best compensation, uh, system for servers, uh, in the industry. And I think it's well known and we're able to pay support teams at a declarative rate, not relied on tips. Um, and so from a recruiting perspective is, has been fantastic. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then, you know, it's, it's fine because even Oracle and Symphony play into this because um, with their partnerships, we have a whole, 
software package that we're now going to be doing that we were doing some manual calculations for spreadsheets. And now we have a whole application and technology that is going to calculate all those commissions for us and automate that whole process. Um, so again, you know, tech rears its head back up as it could be an inhibitor or an enabler of what we need to do. Okay. One last question before we wrap here. And I, I know Fire and Vine, very well known for high touch service. Can you do high touch while being air quote high tech? Yeah. Well, I, I think that like it or not, the the restaurant business is a technology business now, whether you know it or not. And so what what we have led our team with and our idea is we want to absolutely be high touch for our guests. I want high tech on the back end to help enable that high touch. And I don't want the guests to see the tech unless it's something that enables that, that makes that high touch even better. And so behind the scenes, I want to have the most sophisticated and most technical technology advanced systems enabling you on your 25th wedding anniversary, not having to pick up an electronic device, not having somebody, you know, there's just things that I, I don't want that injected into your experience, unless that is a thing that is going to make your experience special. Um, and so, you know, people will ask us from time to time, why don't you have TVs in the bar? We want to watch the sports game. I go, see that couple over there, they're celebrating. Right. The minute I turn on a TV, that guy, he's going to start looking at it because he can't help it. It's biologically drained in. <laughs> There's nothing that should get in the way of the experience of dining. If you want to go watch a football game, you can go down the street. Yeah. So yep. I don't know if that answers it, but you, you got to have the tech to enable the touch. How's that? I love. Yeah. Hey, just to summarize it, I love. I think that's great. It, re it removes the friction, or it should remove the friction. Yeah. yeah. In in the interaction, uh, Chad, this was a really uh, great episode. I appreciate you taking some time to give us a look behind the curtain uh, on how things have been and and what the roadmap is moving forward. And Simon, thank you for um, being on and and carrying the flag for Oracle and how you can help uh, other restaurateurs that are out there try to figure out this roadmap for you know whatever the next however many years <laughs> looks like. Thanks very much. Uh, it's my pleasure. This was my episode with Chad McKay and Simon DeMontfort-Walker. You can learn more about Chad and Fire and Vine Hospitality at fireandvinehospitality.com. And to learn more about Oracle Food and Beverage, visit oracle.com slash industries slash food dash beverage. To hear past episodes or check out our other content, go to theprovenprinciplespodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. I'm Adam Knight, and you've been listening to the Proven Principles Podcast. Until next time.